Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to CEO Exclusive, where we get emerging trends from CEOs and their most trusted advisors. And on today's show, I'm delighted to have April Cleek of EHR Concepts, President and CEO, and Jennifer Olenberger, her Director of Operations and Account Management. Ladies, welcome to the show. Thank you. As always, uh, we start the conversation by discussing trends in your industry or area of expertise that you think other CEOs uh, would be interested in. Uh, So, April, you want to take that question? Yeah, sure. Specifically, healthcare information technology as a whole is thriving and growing and lately all the buzz within both the government space and, and the sector space. So CEOs are constantly following what's happening from a population health standpoint. How do we make our population healthier? They're watching how can we make the the software that we're putting into these facilities make them interoperable? How do we get them to talk to each other so as patients float from different facilities, they can they can track the patients? How do they pull the analytics out of the data that we're getting in order to follow um, maybe outbreaks or common diseases so that we can treat them accordingly? There's um, There's so many trends happening in this industry that specifically the CEOs and the CIOs of these major hospitals need to need to know so that they can treat the patients and improve the population health of of America. Mm-hmm. And so if you were going to point to maybe the top one or two mm-hmm. that you think are absolutely critical, what would they be? I'd be curious what Jennifer would say, but I would absolutely say, um, speaking to population health, that's kind of all the buzz right now, population health management as a whole. And that is everything from what diagnosis does a patient have? Why do they have that? What are the trends that follow that? Um, so specifically centered around the patient, because at the end of the day, the whole purpose of healthcare IT is to make a patient healthier. And so I, that would be probably the number one topic of discussion and trend that everybody is aiming for, the government, the CEOs, the, the healthcare population, the other one, um, the buzzword, is meaningful use, and that is how to use the system in a meaningful way to pull out the data, to be able to, to see kind of what is happening um, in this industry from a meaningful use standpoint. And, and Jennifer could even speak a lot more to that in general. Okay. Those are the top two. Yeah. And what about you, Jennifer? I would say another um, big topic um, is the term big data. Um, a lot of the... Um, entrepreneurs as well as CEOs and CIOs are trying to get all of this data now from all of these healthcare organizations and centralize it. And the reason why they want to have this data, of course, is power. The providers have that power at their fingertips inside of their EHR to be able to find out your results from when you went two states over and we're getting that information through an HIE, an information exchange system. And so a challenge for these organizations is capturing that data. It's being able to search in that data, run analytics, um, and use it meaningfully. One of the things that big data has done for providers is giving them power, power to predict diseases, power to treat them more effectively. So I think that 
all these providers are now on some type of EHR. So now we have to figure out how can we use this information that we're getting from all of these areas and streamline it so it can be effective to the patient when the provider's in there seeing them um, at their visit. One question I have about the basic, you know, meaningful use of, of help IT is I wonder the extent to which it really, really matters because a lot of the the health population health issues are related to just basic lifestyle, right? right. Stop smoking, <laughs> you know, that'll help uh, a lot with lung cancer, heart disease, et cetera. You know, eat better, exercise, that'll help with, you know, obesity, diabetes, you know, heart disease, cholesterol, high cholesterol, hypertension, the whole list of diseases. And so I wonder, like, why does it matter? Why does the IT matter? Or how can the, the technology and the data be used to actually get people to change their behavior if it can? Yeah, I think it can for sure. Um, now that they're able to see these patients, when the patient arrives, they can look at a snapshot in their electronic health record and see what di- diagnosis they've had in the past and be able to to group those people together. And the providers are getting alerts um, that can tell them this patient is in a category and could use X treatment. So getting those real-time alerts to treat those things that we are seeing in the population that's growing um, is, I think, imperative. I mean, and to speak to the fact that EHR is also going to provide education. Uh, When they leave the appointment, they're able to print out the instructions. They're able to start educating these patients. And as common sense as stop smoking, you know, may be, it's the the how or it's the, oh, I didn't realize this. Unfortunately, you know, there's still ignorance is bliss. And I think there's still an element of ignorance. But with these electronic health records and the alerts and everything else, they can they can give the patient a handout. You know, they, they, they're printing clinical documents to show, hey, this is what we can do. And then they're able to save lives, which the patient wants to see, because if they order a medication, they'll see if it's going to have an interaction, um, a drug interaction. It's going to see if it's going to um, uh, interfere with maybe something else that they're taking. And on paper, that never did that, you know? And so there's so many benefits that I think the patients are not realizing that why the doctors are really trying to um, to save lives and improve their health, whether or not they want to see it. I think it's going to be a, a slow buy-in mm-hmm. um, to wanting to change. Mm-hmm. And so your company actually works on the, the health IT piece. And um, are your customers mainly doctors? Typically, the larger healthcare organizations. Okay. Um, so the doctors would not be our, uh, our our client. The organization would, and we do both the back end. So we come in from the uh, IT standpoint, but then sometimes we work on the front end with the doctors and the end users to get them to use the system appropriately as well. Great. And so I, I ask that because I, I wonder your perspective on on how, especially the EHRs can add value to the healthcare organization or to the practice because um, from the providers and the doctors I've spoken to, they're really overwhelmed by the administrative burden of all of these changes that are happening in healthcare. Mm -hmm. And it's driving a lot of doctors, quite frankly, out of business, right? Absolutely. You know, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of consolidation and they're basically just saying to hospitals, let me just become an employee because I can't handle all all the administrative burden anymore. 
Mm. So how how can the this technology actually begin to add value back to the back to practices? Jennifer, you want to take that one? Sure. I think that um, it is a, a approach that organizations have to. It has to be a step by step process. Providers are hit with this all at one time. They're very overwhelmed. They're just trying to go and see their patients and go out like they've always done. And I think now it does take a little bit longer at first with with the learning curve of using the technology, but what they will see as they utilize it, they'll get faster with it. That's where our consulting services will come in and teach them the step-by-step save. Here's some items that you can do to save clicks. Mm-hmm. Click clouding is huge. Providers will say, it just took me 20 clicks to get this process done where in paper I could have flipped, flipped, flipped and been done. So it's it's definitely something that we we work with them one-on-one to help them use the, utilize the system more appropriately, effectively. But then I think once they get that down, they get over the hurdle, then they'll start seeing the value because they will see some of these things, which we've already talked about, those real-time alerts coming in, their vitals right there flowed for them in a nice, pretty chart um, where they can see if the patient's losing their weight appropriately. They can see when their last mammogram was done, all at their at their fingertips. So I think once they bite the bullet, learn the system, they're going to see the value in it. It's taking the time. Unfortunately, um, doctors didn't go to IT school. Yeah. You know, they and I've heard it so many times. The doctors do say they said, I went to medical school to practice medicine, not to tinker on a computer. And so you're absolutely right. Um, It has been difficult and it has been painful. Mm -hmm. However, as time progresses, they are able to see the benefits. And I think because at the end of the day, every doctor wants to help the patient. And, um, And it's just a matter of taking the time to learn and, and learn the application and the and the power that the tool has. I think it's just the newness of it that that is what their pushback is. Mm-hmm. Something new they have to learn. And it sounds like you're pretty passionate about the the value of this um, healthcare IT. So, what is it that makes you so confident that um, that physicians can get value out of this, and that healthcare IT actually, you know, can add value back to the to practices and to medicine? I think, uh, so I'll just give you a little backstory on myself personally. I uh, was an Army wife, and I was on the first rollout that the Department of Defense rolled out their AHR to the Army hospitals, the Air Force hospitals, and the Navy hospitals. When was that? In 2004, 5, and 6. I was um, I did the majority of the project until it ended when we did it um, worldwide. And uh, my husband was in the Army, and I was the wife, and I was traveling, implementing And whether I was in Japan implementing something or my husband was in Afghanistan, the doctors were able to see both of us. Our record followed us where we went. They were able to treat us. So from a global perspective, where healthcare information technology is going as a whole, to be able to know that um, their record can be accessible, you know, potentially anytime, anywhere, that no matter uh, what had happened to us, we were going to be treated accordingly. Um, that to me became my personal story. And so when I came and, um, and started implementing a commercial project after the DOD across the country, I personally worked with doctors and that's all they did was give me resistance. You know, I would, I would go and sit with them and try to get them to show, show them how powerful this tool was. And as painful as it was, I would begin to teach them how to set up their alerts, how to order these medications, put in the family history and the past medical history, begin to uh, show them how to put in the social history of a patient and 
and order the labs and radiologies that just can go out, you know, and come back with the, with the results sometimes that day, or maybe within two or three days. And as I sat with these providers, I began realizing um, how powerful it was, the tool was to let them truly help their patient. And they were, they, the providers that accepted it began to, to track their patients and trend it out and see, you know, some of the things that Jennifer mentioned. And, um, and that was when I became a believer because I saw the, the power and the transformation both personally, but then um, professionally as I sat there in the offices day in, day out, whether it was a surgery office or a cardiology office or a, a pediatric office, it didn't matter. I personally began to experience it. Mm. And I, I am a very um, numbers-driven kind of dollars and cents person, and I take that approach to business. So if you were going to talk about some of the economics behind that, so it's really great that they can do all this trending and, you know, they can do all this whiz-bang stuff and they get all these alerts. Like, what is the actual economic benefit to a practice from actually getting this thing implemented properly? Well, I think there definitely is cost up front to organizations. And the good news is that the government is incentivizing providers and organizations to get on electronic health records. So with, what they're doing is they're giving away so much money per year if you're if you're meeting certain measures and you're using the software meaningfully. So I think that has helped um, with providers and this and the load they're carrying of paying millions of dollars for the software that they don't even like using. At least the government has has noted that they're wanting to incentivize them we're moving forward with an electronic health record. Um, there's several other incentive programs that they can also meet by being on electronic health record. And a lot of organizations have went for those incentive programs as well. So they can get more money, try to get all of this, these, you know, incentive programs while they can. And then, you know, that soon that will pass and it will be mandated that they have to be on an EHR. So, you know, now's the time and years of the past few years is the time for them to get on the rec- the electronic health record. So I think that that will help them when they look at the bottom line. They can see a little bit, um, you know, and, and hopefully it can and equal that out. But yes, it, it has been a financial burden for them. Mm. And I guess my, my question was a slightly different question. So after they've implemented it, let's say the, the government pays them and the government takes the hit for that upfront cost for implementing the EHR. Is there any economic benefit to the practice after the EHR has been implemented effectively? So I believe there is. Um, that That's such a loaded question because the element of implementing um, an, an electronic health record as a whole yeah. comes with so many parts. So you have the financial aspect. And so, for example, they are um, going to be looking at the financial burden of the charges. So the provider submits their charges for that visit. It goes to the billing. The billing then outsources it. You know, they receive to, they get them, they collect the money. Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> Absolutely. And, but right there, um, that there are so many ways to minimize cost uh, on just the way you submit payments because everything is done electronically. What would have been um, maybe 10 people's job uh, is now become one. Mm. And so a cost saving from that perspective, the, uh, the error reduction the money lost. There has been so many times we've been able to go in and and do an audit from just a billing standpoint. How are you billing? What are your receivables? Where are you missing the gaps? And and we're able to find hundreds of thousands of dollars within a month um, from just simple errors. 
that they have missed out. So that is one aspect of um, of how after the fact, uh, they actually see that it is going to save them time and money. Great. So let's turn the conversation. In the second part of the show, we always talk about the you know the relationship between the guests, and you told us a little bit. Um, April about kind of why you started the business and why you're passionate about it. But I would love to hear um, a little bit more about how you started the business, kind of where it's gone, what you expect, because at some point, Jennifer, as you mentioned, those incentives are going to run out. And so I imagine that's going to turn the EHR industry a lot. And I would love to hear your perspectives on where you think it's going to go after the incentive program has ended. So either of you can, can just jump right on in. I was working in the industry, like as I mentioned mm-hmm. prior to starting, and I had met Jennifer at a client site. And I realized how brilliant she was. I realized how much she was uh, caring for this organization, and I saw her skill set. So it became mutually beneficial that when I started the company, um, she worked for me in the field, very similar to what I did in the field for a while until she um, came over to the internal team and helps me pretty much run everything. Wow. Um, I'll let Jennifer, and I can speak to as well, but I'll let Jennifer kind of talk about the future of where we're going um, with EHR Concepts and and where we've come. Before it was just the consulting services and being in the field. Now we have grown to the place where we have um, a lot of a lot of things going on. Yeah. Jennifer? Sure. So, yeah, like April said, um, we when we started this company, we were doing a lot of commercial work. So we were working with these, the, these providers, these organizations. Well, where we've seen since, you know, those incentive programs are running out, and a lot of those are already implemented. Mm-hmm. So they're at a good place now, and they can go on and, and, and see patients fine now. So now we have shifted our company to to work more on the government um, side of things. So um, like April started with the DOD rollout. Well, now the government has decided that they're going to switch EMRs. So that was just announced last year. Mm. So now there's going to be a lot of need for consultants in this industry to help the government um, roll out their new project of Cerner. So we have definitely um, shifted things to work in the government space. Um, We have a whole division now that's dedicated to doing government services. And um, we we do everything on the government side, but we're going to be focusing on their electronic health record and then their healthcare IT, since that's where our passion is and that's where we came from. So, you know, over the next uh, couple of years, we'll be ramping up to, to definitely focus our energy more on the government side of this industry. There's a lot of strategic partners that we are um, creating as well. For example, um, most recently, I, I had the opportunity to meet with Beth Comstock. She's the vice chair of GE, first female in that position, which wow. is just amazing. And um, she is opening the door for us to come in as a strategic partner. What can we do? What does this look like? I recently had a conversation with IBM, and they have a new robot called Watson. And if you haven't Googled it, Google it. It's Jeopardy. I remember Mm -hmm. Watson from Jeopardy. It's phenomenal. And what it's going to do to revolutionize what has already been established within this healthcare IT industry, and then take it to that next level from a data analytics standpoint. What are they going to use Watson for? Predominantly running the analytics and the data centered around uh, what is being collected? What are we seeing trending? And there's a lot of um, companies out there that offer these services and tools out there. Um, but Watson 
is essentially going to be um, smarter than any human being ever yeah. could. Uh, so even if they were to see a patient, if, if the robot Watson were to see a patient, it's going to be pretty much no room for error ever, mm. you know? And, um, and it is scary when you realize where we're going, you yeah. know, in, in this world and in this technology phase, but, um, but we uh, are going to possibly have the opportunity to be one of their partners and help them implement Watson into, into the hospital space. So through um, growth on the government sector, the services that we're offering, both consulting, staff augmentation, and, and then now strategic partnerships with some of these, you know, Fortune 100 companies. It's a really an exciting time. And we do believe in it, obviously. We believe in healthcare IT and where it's going. Um, so that's kind of some of the bullet points of, of where we're going and what's going on. Yeah. And um, in the midst of all that, we were talking that you guys are both mothers, and in <laughs> April, you have four children, and you look absolutely <laughs> fabulous, and I just am like, wow, I'm totally amazed. Um, yeah, you have a two three-year-olds, yeah. a two-year-old, yeah. and an eight-month-old, yes. and Jennifer, you have a, a two-year-old? I have a six-year-old and an eight-month-old. And an eight-month-old well. as well. Wow. <laughs> and I, I'm wondering, for both of you, what how do you make that happen? I'm just amazed. You have this like thriving multi-million dollar company. I'm still working on my first one and I'm still like trying to get here on time and just manage the basics of life. And I don't have four other lives to take care of. So how do you, how do you make that work? Yeah, that is the number one question I get. It's, it is absolutely the number one <laughs> No, question. but it's a good question. <laughs> it is. It's a phenomenal question. And my answer um, is always the same. I am surrounded by amazing people like the Jennifers of the world and um, and the people in my life that help it make go round, make it go round. Um, and so one, I have to give credit to everybody that's in my life that helps me manage my crazy world. But in addition to that, um, I had to learn how to develop boundaries for myself. Um, in the morning, I am mommy, you know, and I want to be 100% mommy until I walk out that door to go to work. How does that work, though? You have, like, seriously, you have four children. Uh, They're all really young. Like, yeah, they are. Do you, what time do you get out of the house? I usually leave the house, like, nine. So that's, like, normal. And, yeah. like, so what happens between, like, when you get up at six or whatever and, like, 9 a.m. that, like, they're all okay and, like, you know, like, what, four or five sets of diapers need to be changed? Right. Like, I'll have to, we'll have to do another show on motherhood. But I run a really tight ship. I am, um, my babies sleep eight to eight. Even the littlest now sleeps eight to eight, and we we have a strict schedule. Their naps are one to three. If they don't, if the three year olds don't want to nap, they still have quiet time in their bed, and so it's just very structured and strict. When I get home around five, like anybody else, um, we have time from five to eight, and every hour is planned. Every half hour is planned, and then they go to bed. And then um, when I get home, I really do try to be present. And then um, and then when they go to bed at eight, I typically log in, and we're up till eleven. You know. Mm -hmm. um, Still working, but um, but but you're right. Structure, boundaries, um, discipline, commitment. I think I sleep more than Jennifer. So Jennifer, you want to speak to this? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. But that's something I'm still learning uh, from April is um, creating the boundaries and the structure. It's definitely something that you have to do. You have to be present where you're at, be present at the work, be present at home. And so for me, it's still a work in progress, <laughs> but um, I feel like I'm getting there and, and, and gleaming off of April. I, my baby still gets up two and three times a night. <laughs> Super jealous of her eight to eight schedule. But 
but I think that I will get there. And I think that um, it's important to have those boundaries as well. Mm. And I think when you love something, like as much as you love work and as much as you love being a mom and as much as you love being a wife or anything else, you just, um, you just push through it. If you enjoy what you're doing. And I think Jennifer and I can both sit here and say, we enjoy all aspects of it. So you just um, make it happen. Mm -hmm. And for listeners, how many people, how many employees do you have at the company? We have, um, so we do have consultants and employees with a combined total of right now, probably 75 in the field and a working bench of 200 at any given time. Great. And so uh, you just mentioned how important, you know, the people are that are working in the, in the business, both of you. That's been discussed so much on the show. It's almost a cliche. I wonder, like, what is it that you think separates the companies, the organizations, the leadership that's able to cultivate a good culture and a great team that is able to perform at that level versus the ones that don't? That's a great question. Recently, I try. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think what sets us apart from other, from our competitors in our industry is we came at it from being consultants. So we know things that need to be accomplished on that aspect. And we try to treat our consultants the way we would have wanted to be tr- have been treated. Um, so we we dump we give our consultants constant education to make sure that they're staying um, above bar, you know, for their in their field. And we try to give back to them. We recently um, won the Best in Biz Silver Award for small business and um, for 2015. And for us, that was a huge accomplishment. Um, we give back to our consultants every year. We take them on uh, two retreats a year, and um, we have. The award was best place to work. Okay. Yeah, best place to work. Best fits. And um, we just, we give back to them and uh, we allow them to give back through social responsibilities and things like that. And I think we've just created a culture where people want to work for us. And that's because we want to be a company where we thrive and we we have flexibility, but we have commitment to our providers and our organizations. Mm-hmm. And, I th- and we care. And I think people are drawn to that. We care about who is working for us. We care about our clients and who we're working with. And we almost demand it. If somebody comes in and doesn't care, you're not going to, you won't survive in our culture. Mm. You'll just naturally kind of get pushed out, if you will. And um, and so, for example, working as hard as we do and, and our people in the field work just as hard. If Jennifer at any moment feels like I don't care, it's going to knock the sails out of her, out of her her ship that's sailing quickly, and and I think that that is true with anybody in the team. And um and as we move forward, uh, that has been the heartbeat for me is care, take care of each other, um you know listen, be there for each other, have each other's back, and uh and you know like you said, it, it's a it's a hot topic with any company, and you interview CEOs all the time. Uh, but I do feel like we have done it really well. Our attrition rate is almost zero. Mm. Um, we rarely lose people. Our consultants will sit on the bench for months at a time to just work with us. And um, and I think because they don't want to feel like a number, they want to feel like a name. Mm. And we are very intentional with that. And we, our clients feel that. Um, there's been t- many times we go into the clients and they say, where have you guys been? And, um, and it's not that that person is any brighter than maybe who they got from somebody else. The difference is the culture of character um, that has been instilled in them working with us. So you said um, something that I think is, is really powerful. You said intentional, mm-hmm. right? It's not by accident. 
Jennifer, you mentioned a couple things that are done intentionally, um, the education, the retreats. What are some of the other things that you're very intentional about doing to instill that culture of care? If you go on site, I'll send, um, or, you know, our, our team will send you a Starbucks gift card that's in your hotel room, just saying, hey, thanks for being on the road, thinking about you. For birthday presents, we want to know what's your favorite color. And if it's blue, we'll send you blue roses, or we'll do something, you know, that's just uh, identifies and singles out who you are. And so that intentionality is very purposeful. And we didn't always do that. Sometimes we just sent you an Amazon gift card or, you know, but, um, but with anything now it has become that intentionality. So it's that those specifics that matter and same thing, um, with the services that we offer, it's the specifics that matter. We try to listen and then hone into not doing all the busy work around it, but but being intentional with that. We offer a mentor program. So for example, if um, if you had come and worked with us and you had three skill sets, but you were missing one, I would match you with maybe somebody already in the company to give you another skill set. It's going to build your confidence. It's going to build your resume. It's going to make you more valuable in the field. It's going to make you more valuable to us. But because I'm empowering you and giving you a mentor and pouring into you in return, you just naturally want to stay and work with us. Even if I just made you more powerful to go work and make more money. Nine times out of 10, if not nine and a half times out of 10, I've found that you stay. And so everything has been very intentional. Hmm. I think that that's really great. And so it's coming from you, April, as the CEO, right? The president, the founder, um, this vision, this intention, this care, how do you make sure that it gets pushed down to the next level, right? So it's one thing for it to go from you to the people that you're directly interacting with. But if you have, what, 275 people that are in the in the wheelhouse, mm-hmm. how do you make sure that it goes down to levels three, four, and five? Yeah. Leadership. Uh, the people, the Jennifers yeah. of the world that um, I feel it's my responsibility to be her mentor, I feel like it's my responsibility to be my leadership mentee, you know, that I am pouring into them. We have obviously weekly meetings. Um, I start off the meeting every week with something inspirational, something that I uh, come very intentional with. How are they going to think? What can I, how can I change their mindset? How can I empower them to be the leaders that they are called to be? And so I'm even intentional with my own leadership, but I also will not tolerate Um, lack of character. And so when I do see somebody that is acting in a way, I will address it maybe once or twice. And then unfortunately, you you won't stay. And I have a heart bigger than probably any CEO, which is also my demise. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But I'm learning to have that backbone and say, this is this is how we don't do things. We are brutal when interviewing. I'm not going to lie. We interview somebody probably four or five times. And so they know what they're signing up for when they join our company as well. So if they can't fit into us culturally, then we missed it Mm -hmm. or they missed it during the interview process. So again, it's kind of a mentor filter Mm -hmm. uh, approach, both in the field and internally. I'm a big fan of of tough interview processes. (laughs) I think they really work because it sets the tone for people to when they come in. Can you talk to us a little bit about what that brutality looks like? Because I think it's very informative. (laughs) 
Sure. So um, usually um, it, it's the interviews conducted first with someone that might be myself or an, a counterpartner of mine, and then we will pass the person on. Um, of course, we have a, a slew of questions that we ask, and it's um, not just about their skill set because skill set is the, one of the more important things, but it's also about their character, asking them things that are outside of the box to, to make sure that they're going to be a fit. And um, we have, you know, we have beliefs, we have ethics in our company, and we want to make sure we're matching up our the people that are working for us with that. So I'll interview them or a coworker of ours will interview them. Then we pass them and, and they do, they go through um, probably you know, normally three interviews. We have a, a phone interview, then we have a video screen, and then an office um, approach because a lot of our people that we hire are nationwide. We have an office in North Carolina, so we have people in Greensboro. And so we have to um, do a lot of video ch- chatting and using Skype and things like that. But we try to have those face-to-face interviews with them as well because they will be working remotely. So we we do that. So it's usually a three-step process um, before we decide for sure. In April, we usually speak with them and give her give us her feedback. But, you know, ultimately, it's not her decision. She lets it be ours our decision and on the leadership, um, which I think is very important because she's valuing who we are selecting to work for the company. Um, So I think that it's, you know, a process, but I think it's a really good process. And sometimes the three interviews turn into five, Mm -hmm. whether it's create this presentation or we're just teetering. Um, We're not quick to make a decision, but I also think that that's what makes us a really powerful organization Mm -hmm. to work for and work with because we don't just make decisions on the fly. Uh, we are very thought, um, full, and intentional with our approach. Mm. So what defines character? Because that can mean a lot of things. <clears throat> and then how do you spot it? Because, mm-hmm. you know, most people are putting on their their uh. best, putting their best foot forward <laughs> in that interview, you know. So they're not going to tell you that they, you know, mm-hmm. were shoplifting or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> shoplifting, that's funny. Because it's true. It's, right? it's absolutely true. For myself personally and why I choose not to make those final decisions in regards to hiring is because I love everybody. I think everybody is fantastic. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and my team laughs because I'm like, I love them. Let, let's hire them. And, um, and, and so I really do see the good in everybody. For me personally, I've just set the tone with, let me just tell you who the company is and my expectations. And I let the rest of the team do that interview process to see if they can find any discrepancies, any any chance where the stories shift and where they change. Obviously, we call a lot of their referrals and the references. But at the end of the day, to go to your question, how do you find that character? I believe that everybody, you know, has those core values. You know, that any company has, you know, what you sit down, you write a business plan and you say, okay, what's our core values? Mm -hmm. But I believe that core values is something that you are raised with or have learned along your way in life. And I believe during a conversation or during this interview process that you really get to the heart of a core value with somebody. If family is important, if family is not important, if family is important, to me, we call ourselves the EHRC family. You can, you can filter out, okay, that's just not a core value. So they might struggle here. They might feel rejected. They might feel abandoned. They might not be able to come into the family. So for me personally, I get down to the core value of what is inside somebody and I see if they match our company core values. Hmm. 
Yeah. So Jennifer, how do you define character? Since the final decision is kind of going to end up with you. <laughs> right. Well, after we get a lot of those character conversations out of the way and we do ask out of the box things to see their responses, because I feel like when you ask things like your hobbies, you don't think that that's, you know, it doesn't have anything to do with my work. She's just trying to get to know me personally, but it's not that at all. It's um, taking to thinking of what you're doing with your time outside of work will also define your character. So if you're, if you're, you're doing a lot of things with a community and you're in a, involved in a lot of things, for me, it's shows, you know, more about your character. So, of course, the skill set plays into that as well. But at the end, at the end of the interview process, we have a good overview of a person, um, who, what they're about, and how they would be able to be in this company. So, yeah, I think it's a process, but I think it's, yeah. And we don't get it right every time. Nobody does. <laughs> no, no, Nobody does. No. Nobody does. Uh, but obviously, you're getting it right most of the time, which is great. We do actually build the business a lot through referral. So if, um, you know, Jennifer, I hire Jennifer and she works out, I, my next hire will probably be a Jennifer referral mm. because she's not going to refer somebody in one, knowing the company or two, she doesn't want to disappoint the company. Right. And so our business has grown organically a lot by referral, mm. who you know and who knows who, and wanting them to be like, this company is awesome. You've got to come work for it. And we've gotten amazing people that have left amazing jobs to come be a part of us because somebody believed in it. And then they, so it's a lot of it has been getting the best out there. That's awesome. Because they want, yeah, they want to bring them in. Jennifer, what are some of those core values that you're looking to kind of match and see whether or not people line up? Um, well, of course, we we look for the most honest um, people in the, in the industry because that's, that's very important to us. Um, when we interview a lots of of these candidates out there, you can put anything on paper. You can write a great resume and you can look perfect on paper. Um, so we we do want to make sure that they are honest because that's what we represent in the field with these providers is giving them, you know, the best the best person that they can have and, and that honesty. I guess another thing would be their general work ethic because we all work very, very hard because we are so passionate about our our company. So what is your worth ethic? What have you, what have you done in the past? And you know, how, what goals have you met for your company? Things like that, that are very important, I feel. Hmm. So the honesty one I'm very interested in, mm -hmm. how do you tell whether or not somebody's honest? In our industry, I believe it's a little bit easier mm. um, because you can, I, we've been given lots of resumes that look amazing. And so the difference that, that has separated us from other organizations is, um, let's say a big player and they are just recruiting resumes. They look at the resumes and they say, oh, this person looks great. You mean a big player being another company that's yeah, a big player? Yeah, one of our competitors Got is it. a big player. They'll get a bunch of resumes. Let's say we're bidding on the same project. Right. They'll get a bunch of resumes. The resumes look fantastic, and they send them over. Us, on the other hand, when I get a resume, because I've been in the field and I have the knowledge, when I get on that phone with that person, I am drilling them on the specifics of what's on their resume. So the little details of, can you explain how you would um, reconcile this medication against you know, this whatever? And if they can't, 
I know their skill set immediately. So that's been a secret sauce of ours is where when we are talking to people, you're always going to be on a phone with a subject matter expert on the other line. Mm. You're not going to be a recruiter that has learned the language of resume or learned the language of this industry. You're actually going to be interviewing with an, an um, a subject matter expert. And that's where Jennifer has gotten into the role that she is because she's one of the most brilliant people in the company with the industry knowledge. I look to her all the time. If we go to conferences, Jennifer is usually teaching the classes to the CIOs. She's the one teaching what is going on. So if you end up with a Jennifer at the end of the day on the other line and your resume is fluff, you're in trouble. <laughs> you know, and you and we can tell we can tell very quickly um, because we have the knowledge. We were subject matter experts and and the company has Everybody in my company that's in the internal team has all been in the field. Every single one of them. Mm-hmm. Great. Mm. And so is there anything like new and exciting that's happening um, at EHR Concepts that you want to let CEOs who might be listening know about? I think there's a lot of exciting things. And I'll let Jennifer um, speak to this as well. But we have something that they may not know about us is we actually have a live chat product that we developed. It's a software technology that we can install into any EHR nationwide. And what it does is it creates right now, if a provider or a nurse or the front desk, anybody has an issue, they have to submit a ticket. Well, now they can just chat with somebody, see if they can resolve it right away. And then just kind of close that out. You don't even have to have a ticket. If it's not resolvable, you just can put it, you know, into the ticketing system. But little small solutions like that, I think, are really powerful. We are attending HIMSS in two weeks. Mm-hmm. It's in um, Las Vegas, Nevada, one of the largest um, healthcare information um, conferences. And there we have, I think I had mentioned a lot of strategic partners meetings with GE and IBM and um, some of the larger players. Uh, we are ramping up a lot of our legacy support services, and that is the hospitals such as Northeast Georgia here Mm -hmm. in our backyard, they had chose to rip out the old system and put in a new. And so we're coming behind a lot of those larger hospitals and offering those services to say, hey, we can be your managed service partner so you can focus on what's um, what's new and coming. Jennifer, you want to add anything? I would say another new and exciting thing for us is we have been nationwide for years and we've worked with very large hospitals, UMass Memorial, George Washington University, and Scripps Health out in California. Well, we've really tried to focus in on the Atlanta and the Georgia area because this that is our home and that is this is our healthcare that we're surrounded with. So we've the last um, year we've been focusing on trying to get more partnerships and more organizations in the Atlanta area. Um, we're working with Northside Hospital now and um, we're looking at working with several others and we've April's been having meetings with them and I think that that's something new and exciting because we are they're right in our backyard and we want to give back to our community so that's something else that we've been working on yeah I've had several meetings with them children's Atlanta as well as I'm speaking at the Georgia Healthcare Association to the CIO forum wow. and, um, and getting involved in in the hymns both nationally and internationally. So it's, yeah, it's a lot of exciting times, plus the government space and all that that entails. Uh, So there is a lot of exciting things ahead for us and with us. Wonderful. Oh, yeah. I got invited to the White House. Um, Well, that that, that little, (laughs) oh, my goodness. Yeah, I got invited to the White House. So I'll be at the White House in the first week of April, which is nice as well. Oh, you've got to tell us about that. What's that about? (laughs) So I uh, I have a very dear friend of mine, Phyllis Newhouse, and um, she is 
Uh, I think I've been trying to get her on the show, actually. She's amazing. Can you put in a plug? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> of course. She's absolutely phenomenal. And um, and she's become a dear friend of mine. And uh, she was invited last year. Um, one, if you Google her, you'll you'll see why yeah. she was invited. And um, and she had she got invited again and was able to bring 10 um, people. She got 10 guests wow. invites. And so she extended one of them to myself. And she's been, um, you know, somebody that I very much look up to and, and I'm trying to follow her shoes, if you will. And she's in the professional service space side as well. Um, not so much on the healthcare IT, but um, cybersecurity yeah. and other information technology as a whole. But she she works a lot in the government space as well. So um, she's become a friend, extended the invite, and I'm honored <laughs> to accept. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, congratulations. Thank you. And congratulations on being named one of the best places to work. Obviously, it's well-deserved, as, as listeners can tell. And if uh, listeners want to hear more about anything that you've mentioned on the show, how can they how can they do that? Sure. They can go to our website, of course. It's um, ehrconcepts.com. And they can also email us at anytime info at ehrconcepts.com. Or they can personally reach out to April or, or myself. Um, it's April at EHR Concepts and Jennifer at EHRconcepts.com. And I think that, you know, with our service line that we offer, that we we could come into their organizations and assist them with their implementations of their projects, anything around healthcare IT. We also, on our government side of things, if people are interested, they can go to EHRCGov.com and get more information about our service line for the government space as well. Well, it's been delightful having you on the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you. This show is brought to you by Anona Enterprises, where strategy is your access to money and performance. Learn more at anonaenterprises.com.